0: Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read uh, verses 3 through 23 this evening. Uh, we started last week, uh, by the way, this is on page 917 of your church Bibles, uh, it's also in your service sheets. Uh, we started Ephesians uh, last week, Stan uh, Adams was here and, and kind of gave us a, a bit of an overview. Uh, tonight we're going to kind of dive in to the, the book itself. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, reading to the end of the chapter, uh, and this is God's word. heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints i do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe Amen, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. Well, the, the filmmaker Terrence Malick made a film about a decade ago called Tree of Life. And his films have always been sort of these these weird, strange art house works. But this one uh, was going to possibly be the greatest film of all time, according to some of his fans. And it wasn't. It wasn't very good at all, actually, Part in part because it was just so strange. There were these these kind of quick cuts to different scenes uh, that, that seem to be unrelated to one another. But there's one scene early on where there were two dinosaurs. And one of the dinosaurs was, was lying sick and injured. And the other dinosaur sees kind of easy prey. So it walks up to it and, and is prepared to, to kill this, this weakened dinosaur. And it, it reaches out its claw and it, it places it on its head. And then it, it stops for a moment. And it, it has second thoughts. And then it walks away. And, and it was it was bizarre, but people said it was it was a picture of grace. You know, this dinosaur's choosing to, to show mercy rather than than doing the easy thing and and killing. I don't think dinosaurs understood grace. I'm more of a Jurassic Park man myself, you know, they they just eat everything in sight. But the this picture of grace and tree of life was was really only half right, wasn't it? Grace doesn't say first do no harm. Grace doesn't even say protect the weak, but rather grace is when harm has been done already. And the person that it was done to not only forgives but actually grants favor to the person who was har- who has harmed them. And that's what Paul is talking about throughout Ephesians, but particularly in chapter 1 tonight. The grace of God towards sinners like us. We who have done harm towards God through our rebellion and sin? See, that's the heart of what Paul's explaining to us this evening—the the source of grace and how it how it works out in the grand scheme of eternity. I don't know about you, but whenever I read uh, one of Paul's letters, I I feel like I have ADD. Like I start to worry that that uh you know I. I, I just can't concentrate or, or follow the whole structure of things, but I, I don't. I don't think I do. I, rather, I think it's just the fact that Paul can pack so much into a few sentences and into a couple of paragraphs. Did you notice that? These are the the deep things of God before us this evening, and before us in the weeks ahead. And I'm being a little bit foolish in trying to, to sort of take us through large chunks uh, of Ephesians, but I think I think it's also a good thing. Because it allows us to kind of get the big picture, the, the broad uh, spectrum of Ephesians and not get lost in, in all the details. But my encouragement to you would be to go home and get lost in those details. To go home and, and, uh, and, and read through our passage again each week and, and go through it more slowly and more deliberately and meditate and absorb these incredible riches of what Paul has to say to the church in Ephesus. And to, to our church, Grace Church Hammersmith, today. But for this evening, I, I want to keep it as simple as I can. And so there's really only two things I want us to see, two, two points. And they're, they're broad points. But first of all, I want us to see the eternal heart of God for his people. And secondly, I want us to see the heart of God's servant, that's Paul, for God's people. And the first point will be uh, the bulk of our time this evening. And the, the second point will be much shorter um, but but that's because I, I had to cut something somewhere. But uh, we'll we'll have a brief look at it. Uh, this this sort of prayer at the very end. So first, let's let's see the eternal heart of God for His people. Notice that, that Paul begins with with praise for God. He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." Why does why does Paul bless the name of God? Well, it's because God has blessed him he says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now the word blessed here is, is the same word, but it's used twice in very different ways, isn't it? When Paul blesses God, he, he's offering the, simply the, the praise that God deserves that was always owed to him by his creatures. It's a, it's a simple blessing. When, but when God blesses Paul, he blesses him with, with good gifts, doesn't He? he? He gives him every spiritual blessing... In the heavenly places. And Paul says that that's particularly seen in the salvation in Christ Jesus. But the next bit is, is what I really want to focus on for a moment. This is the bit sh- that should actually get our attention. Notice the timing of this blessing. You know, we, we, we all believe in salvation, I think, in, in Christ Jesus. But, but when did that salvation happen? When did God bless his people? Well, verse 4, Paul says... When he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now that's a statement that should make us stop and go, huh? What, what is Paul talking about? This is the kind of statement that that, that caused the, the political leaders of Paul's day. You know, you can picture Paul saying some of these things to the, the political leaders of his day. We saw it in Acts, in our study through Acts. You know, this is the kind of thing that made those political leaders... Say all your learning has made you mad, Paul. You know you're you're completely nuts, Paul. What are you talking about? Verse four, four is Paul dropping an incomprehensible, but absolutely undeniable law of salvation in Christ Jesus. It's one of those statements that that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But it's one of those that if you tr- want to truly understand Christ, if if you really want to understand the depth of God's love for you, then you have to dive into verses 4 and 5 headfirst. Paul is saying in these verses that your salvation in Christ is an eternal salvation. In other words, your salvation wasn't secure when you prayed the sinner's prayer. It wasn't secure when you decided to follow Jesus. It wasn't secure when, when you were baptized. Dare I say it and hear what I'm saying, hear not what I'm not. It wasn't secure when Christ died and rose. Christ's death and resurrection, as we'll see in a moment, did secure it. It's it's the seal of our salvation. But what Paul is saying is that that your salvation was never left to chance by God. That he predestined you. He chose you before the foundation of the world to belong to him. To be adopted as God's son or daughter. Now let's marinate in that for a few minutes. That's a that's quite a statement, isn't it? And I know this is the the sort of thing that can can be a bit disturbing for us. Some of you may be thinking, isn't isn't this predestination stuff a bit controversial? Aren't there there are differing views and opinions on it? And I think it's I think it's safe to say that that it wasn't controversial for Paul, was it? And when you when you read our, our passage tonight, you'll notice he, he uses either the term or at the the very least the language of predestination uh, more than three times. And the central idea of these these two paragraphs is that your your salvation is an eternal salvation whose foundation is found in the eternal promises of God. In fact, that's the method of God's blessing, isn't it? His promises to sinners from before time began his love for his people chosen in christ before the foundation of the world now let's be really honest for a moment this isn't a simple thing for us to wrap our minds around it's it's a confusing thing and i'm not going to pretend that that uh i don't struggle with it myself at times it's it's one of the the deep truths of god this is what paul would call solid food not milk he he's he he wants us to be mature followers of Christ, and so he's he's laying out these these hard truths. It's hard for us to come to grips with this. And as your minister, I'd I'd like for you to look at the Word of God and to grapple with what it says, even when we can't uh, answer all the questions or fully comprehend these deep things. We need to our our calling as God's people is to bend our hearts and minds to the scriptures. So what I want to do this evening is, is invite all of us to, to uh, 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 not simply take this as, as my words. And don't simply take it at face value, but come to me and let's, let's have conversations about these things if, if they're bothering you and if you're struggling with them. Let's, let's, let's contend together for the faith that we see here. Let's grapple and wrestle with the word of God as people who love God and who love his word, and who love one another. My longing as your minister is for us to grow together in God's word. So let's consider, though, the reasons why predestination is such a difficult truth for us to accept. The main reason, I believe, is because of our own hearts. The things we want to to believe about ourselves shape how we view God. And you you notice the issue there already, don't you? How how we understand ourselves, how we view ourselves dictates what we think about God when actually it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? The things that God says about us, the things that that God says about himself should be what shape how we view ourselves, isn't it? But we want want God to act according to our will. We want him to behave as we behave. In fact, Martin Luther uh, realized this back at the start of the Reformation. One of the the first works that Martin Luther wrote after his, his break with with the Roman Catholic Church was a, a book called The Bondage of the Will. And in this book, he's he's writing a defense. He's responding to, to Erasmus and the, the views of the Catholic Church, which really said that, that salvation's up to us. It's up to us to, to accept the grace of God. And that's when our salvation is secured. Actually, uh, what the Catholic Church really said was, your salvation is never really secure. You have to keep working for it. You have to keep doing the, the the sacraments of the church. You have to keep giving money to the church. You have to keep doing all of these things to secure your salvation, and it's it's never quite certain. And Luther was was up against practically the whole world at this time, and he was arguing for what Paul says here: that we we cannot appro- approach God unless He first approached us. Our salvation has to find its foundation in in the will of God Himself. Here's a Here's a small bit of what, what Luther said, what his conclusion was. He said that uh, that predestination is what reason can neither grasp nor endure. And what has offended all these, these men of outstanding talent who have been so received for so many centuries, here they demand that God should act according to human justice and do what seems right to them or else cease to be God. You pick up on that. Our, our natural default is to want God to act as we act. To to show justice according to human justice. And if He won't act as we want Him to act, then we'd like Him to stop being God. You see, the problem with predestination is, is a very personal problem. And that is, we do not like what it says about us. Because we all think we're pretty good, don't we? We think we're pretty good people. We're just maybe a bit weak, or prone to doing bad things every every now and again. Predestination, though, says that, that your heart is as hard as stone, and you cannot reach out to take what is good. Even even good things the good things you do are tainted by sin and evil. And they often result in unintended evil. Have you ever read Leviticus? Have you ever read Leviticus that, that uh, strange Old Testament book in which God gives his people all these laws these what we call ceremonial laws how how he wanted uh, the Old Testament believers the children of Israel, the Jews to approach him and worship if you go and you read it and you, you read about the sacrifices one of the, the first sets of sacrifices talked about in Leviticus I think it's in chapter 3 were sacrifices for unintentional sins Unintentional sins; I, these, these, uh, these things that that we we didn't really mean to do. Uh, the, the, the the things that 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 uh, weren't really our fault. What does God say about those things? He says all the things we do accidentally actually reflect a world of the, the in which evil exists, and it exists because sin entered it in, in through a man, through people like us. And we contribute to that even even unintentionally. Those those unintentional sins are still an affront to the holiness of God. And they're the result of who we are in our own hearts. See, we think we're good. You understand what we're talking about here, right? We think we're good, right? But God says we're so bad we sin even when we don't mean to. And I didn't mean to do it. Is not an excuse acceptable to God. When a public figure says something, like, does something wrong, and, and then they say something like, uh, "That's this is not who I am." They always say that, don't they? I, I want to uh, apologize unreservedly. This is I'm going to do better. This is not who I am. Well, predestination says this is exactly who you are, and it's in fact who all of us are. God says someone has to pay for the unintended things we make a mess of. You know, if, I, if I hire a car and I wreck it, I would say I had an accident, right? Even if I wasn't driving recklessly, if, if it was indeed an honest accident. Accidents happen, don't they? But someone still has to make the damage right. It's got to cost someone To make the thing that I I made a mess of right. That's why I have to have insurance when I drive, isn't it? See, we want to give ourselves a pass on accidental things, but our our accidents are never free. They always cost someone to make them right. We think we're all pretty good, just, just weak and prone to having the occasional oopsie. Predestination says you're prone to oopsies. Because the depth of evil in your heart runs so deep, it runs more more deeply than you ever imagined possible. We think we're capable of knowing a good thing when we see it. You know, one would would obviously embrace the grace of Christ when offered it when offered to us. Predestination says no. You're you're blind. You're hardened. You're ignorant. You're evil. And if you ever met a truly good person, if you ever met a truly righteous man if you ever came across Christ himself in your natural state you would hang him from a cross that's the whole point that Paul's making if left to ourselves we would be completely utterly and rightly objects of God's wrath there's nothing in us worthy of merit before him I know it we're worth all thinking now right why are you trying to make us feel bad Rob this is this is a real downer for, for a Sunday evening, you know. You've come twice today. Uh, where's the where's the good news? I'm 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 not actually trying to make you feel bad, and neither is Paul. Rather, I think that that Scripture holds a mirror up to us, and I think predestination holds a, a particularly clear mirror for us to see ourselves in. The whole point isn't to make us feel bad, rather is to see precisely why Paul blesses God. I've taken a rather positive passage and turned it a little bit negative. I do apologize for that. But what I want us to see is that God's love for you in Christ is an eternal love. That's not something you could just take for yourself. That God had to choose you. And he chose you only according to his own pleasure and for his glory. That he chose you before he even made the world. And when he chose you, your salvation in Christ was a certainty. Paul mentions predestination because he wants us to see just how far the love of God for us stretches. That's one of the the incredible things about the love of God for his people. It's an eternal love. And Paul talks about that. It's one of the themes of Ephesians that we're going to look at we will talk about the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus for you and I. Now I've gone on and on about this. I could go on and on even longer, but let's look now at, at the cost of God's blessing. Paul keeps coming back to that, doesn't he? How how are we blessed? We're blessed in Christ Jesus. We're saved by the promises of God, realized in the blood of Christ. He says in verse 7 that, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And I've, I've explained this before, but it's it's one of those biblical truths. It's one of those biblical pictures that, that we need to keep coming back to. Redemption is slavery language. So you've heard me talk about this before. When Paul says Christ redeemed us of our sins, he's saying we were slaves to sin. We were unable to escape it and unable to free ourselves from it. How is a slave set free? Well, the slave has to be bought, doesn't he? He has to be bought from its mas- his master and set free. And I know that the, the idea of slavery is offensive to us, as it should be. But it was an example and an illustration readily available to Paul in his day. He saw it most days of his life, I would reckon. And the fact that we find it so offensive and so ugly ought to actually cause us to see how serious our slavery to sin is. It's an ugly truth. It's a terrible thing to be under sin, which is why Paul blesses God for his salvation. And it's why we should bless God for our salvation. Let's notice the purpose of our salvation, though. Three, three quick things that, that Paul says here. The purpose of things, uh, three, three quick purposes are things accomplished by our salvation in Christ. First, we're made holy and blameless. Verse 4. Second, we move from, from unclean and enslaved to, enslaved to evil to being made holy and blameless before God. We're adopted, verse 5. You know, God makes us part of his family. So, so that's, that's real grace, isn't it? It's, it's taking someone who's, who's done evil to you and, and treating you with favor. Just as Jesus calls God Father, so can we call God our Father, with true childlike love. Third, and I, I find this one really remarkable, Christ is is bringing heaven to earth. That's what we're told, isn't it? The world of sin and evil broken and brokenness we, we experience every day will we'll, in the fullness of time be changed. Heaven will break in. And the sin we've been redeemed from will be no more. And that is, in fact, the, the promise of our salvation that we see in the very end in verses 11 through 14. Christ not only freed us from our sins he not only offers us adoption into the family of God but he offers us a, a share in the eternal inheritance God offers his people so you have a home in Christ and it isn't this world you belong to an eternal kingdom and you, you always have even when you didn't know it see that's the profound truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ you're not who you thought you were you're part of something else, something different, something better. When I was a kid, there was a, a film that came out called uh, King Ralph. And, and this film in this film, the, the entire royal family was, was wiped out in an accident. So uh, the firm, the royal family, goes looking for, for who inherits the crown. And that person, they, they trace the lineage back to a man named Ralph. And Ralph was a fry cook in the United States. He was American. He was fat. He was loud. He was ignorant. But he learned that he wasn't who he thought he was. He was the king. It's a a silly and ridiculous film, but it's in fact what, what Paul says the gospel is. If you're a king, you're born into it. And there's nothing you can do to change that. The belief about the king is that that God appoints him. It's a a divine appointment. And somehow we can, as a nation, believe that about the king, but we struggle to believe that about ourselves as Christians. That God, before the foundation of the world, chose you to be a saint. A child of God. An inheritor of the kingdom. Paul says we're children of God and entitled to an inheritance, not only because of, of the promises of God, and not only because of the death and resurrection of Christ, but also because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice the the trying nature of salvation? I think I think people sometimes think that, that uh, we Reformed believers, our Presbyterians, don't believe in the Holy Spirit, but that isn't the case at all. We actually believe with Paul here that the Holy Spirit's critical to our salvation. The Holy Spirit's a, at work in our world and is at work in our hearts. These the, those promises of salvation before the foundation of the world that were sealed in Christ are applied to us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts you know, we might disagree with our, our charismatic brothers and sisters on, on things like signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit but I, I hope we can all agree on, on, on the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that the Holy Spirit is God drawing near to us and causing us to know His love for us and in, in, in His salvation the Holy Spirit's coming into your life into your heart and softening your heart of stone and, and working faith in you to receive the gifts of salvation in Christ. The reason for that that work the, re, the reason that that works is because the Holy Spirit is is God and he is the very real seal on our hearts of our salvation in Christ. So if you're resting in Christ it's because you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. Now, that was our, our first point. And again, don't worry, our second point's shorter. We won't cover everything in detail. In fact, it's, it's very, very short. Our second point is the heart of God's servant, Paul, for God's people. What does Paul pray for the Ephesian church? What does he desire God to do for, for, God, for his people? Well, he wants God to reveal more and more to them, the, the reality of their salvation and all that that involves. He wants more and more for God's people to understand the, the benefits of being found in Christ. And he's going to talk more and more about that in the weeks ahead. He lays out these deep truths and then he prays that God's people would not simply embrace them, but that God through His, his grace would allow His people to understand these truths and the implications of these truths in their, their lives. He prays that God's people would know the fullness of salvation, that they would see the, the love of Christ for them. We could spend all evening contrasting this prayer with what Paul doesn't pray, couldn't we? You know, Paul doesn't pray for the church in Ephesus to become a mega church. He doesn't pray for the church in Ephesus to, to pay their pastor a lot of money so that he can show the world what, how, how great it is to be blessed by God. He doesn't pray that the church in Ephesus would have a building of their own so they could do mums and tots groups and film nights and concerts. He doesn't pray that they would find the secret sauce of evangelism so they could add more and more to their numbers. He prays that that these people that God called to himself before the foundation of the world would have the Holy Spirit of God at work in their hearts revealing to them the knowledge and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the profound implications of that gospel. That's a remarkable prayer, isn't it? It's a beautiful prayer. It's a wondrous prayer. And that, folks, is is what the church is called to be. It needs to be the heart of our own prayers. This, This prayer must be our own prayer. It should drive should be the driving passion of our hearts and the driving passion of Grace Church Hammersmith that each one of us would know the the richness of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus the incredible lavishness of his love for us and his son we hear it in his word we receive it by faith and we receive it through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts who seals it to us for eternity let's pray